Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast. Making complex programming simple and fast. With everything from career advice to philosophy. John Summers will show you everything you need. It's the Simple Hey, what's up? John Sonimus here. Just want to take a moment to tell you about an awesome sponsor we have at Simple Programmer, which is Hire.com. I'm sure you know how frustrating it can be to search for a new job. Pushy recruiters trying to recruit you for jobs you have no interest in, jobs you apply for but you never hear from again, and worst of all, going through a whole interview process only to get a ridiculously lowball offer. Well, Hired.com has solved these problems. Hired flips job searching on its head. It actually puts you in control of the job search by letting you fill out one simple application and then having employers actually apply to hire you. How cool is that? You also get access to your own career coach to help you get your next job. Hired has access to over 4,000 employers with big names like Facebook. Plus, your profile is automatically hidden from current and past employers. Oh, and they pay you to get a job. Anyway, as a Simple Programmer listener, if you use the link Hired.com slash Simple Programmer, you can get double the normal $1,000 hiring bonus and get $2,000 when you find your next job on Hired. Just go to Hired.com slash Simple Programmer to get started. Kobaton is the mobile device cloud platform you need to manage the devices you own and access the devices you want. From manual to automation testing, Kobaton empowers developers to build great products faster. Manage and access the devices you need. Test on hundreds of devices and configurations. Identify issues quickly. Automatically created activity logs allow you to identify and resolve issues faster. Start testing sooner. Compatibility with existing development tools decreases testing time. Real devices, better testing, faster time to market. Visit kobaton.com slash simpleprogrammer to sign up and start testing in minutes. Welcome to the Simple Programmer Podcast, a short mix of career advice, philosophy, and soft skills from successful author and software developer, John Sonmez. Hey, what's up? John Sonmez here from simpleprogrammer.com, and I have an interview for you today. This time, uh, a, a reoccurring guest here at Simple Programmer, Marcus uh, Blakenship. I've always appreciated what he's had to say. We've had some conversations here on, on the, the YouTube channel and podcast, and he's always got uh, got a lot of good, relevant experience having gone having had a lot of roles in the software development industry and becoming an entrepreneur. Hey, I just want to give a quick thanks to one of our sponsors at Simple Programmer, which is Dev Mountain Bootcamp. You should go check them out. The link is in the description. They are a coding bootcamp, and they can teach teach you web development, iOS development, UX design, a lot of good stuff. I get a lot of feedback from a lot of you out there that email me and have told me about Dev Mountain, so I decided to check them out myself. And I, I like what I found. I like their programs. They offer uh, some 12-week intensive programs. They also offer some after-hours programs, which I know that some of you will like. So go check them out. You can see the link in the description below, Dev Mountain Bootcamp, and a big thank you to them for sponsoring Simple Programmer. So, but uh, today what we're going to be talking about is is seven habits that ruin your technical team. Uh, Marcus has written a, an excellent book on this subject. I know that this was something that when I saw it, when I saw the book and, and read through the book, I was like, oh yeah, this is uh, <laughs> this is something that that fits right up right up uh, my alley with uh, with with I talk about here, and then also just something that I think would be valuable to to all of you because. There's a lot of things that, that go wrong, even when you have a really good technical team. So uh, welcome, Marcus, and thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. Yeah, all of the things in the book are things I've lived through on one side of, of the table of the desk or the other, usually both. I think almost yeah. everything I've been victimized by and I've probably done to other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very, very, I think it's good to to shine a light on some of the things that you don't think about like you at a, at a common sense level some of these things you you say oh yeah but then until it's pointed out you don't realize that you're doing that and how harmful it is 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, I want to just like, as we start, I want to make sure that people understand that I don't believe that that technical leaders do these things intentionally. Nobody's like using this as a stick to beat their team. This isn't about like shaming programmers intentionally or any of the micromanaging techniques. But I think these are habits that people perfectly good leaders fall into uh, without even really being aware of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. I, you know, it, it, it also just makes sense. I think to have the philosophy that people are not being malicious. I mean, most people are trying to do the best that they can. Exactly. Just, so that with what they know. So. And the time they have. So exactly. Time's yeah. always tough. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive in here. Okay. So, you know, let me just hit the first one here if I can. Um, and I'm going to turn my head here. Let me move this in front of my screen so I can look at it a little easier here. The first one has to do with, with withholding feedback. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but it absolutely drives me crazy when I don't know what my boss is thinking or when I walk into an annual evaluation and I hear all this new stuff. Like, right. Four months ago, I was in a meeting and you were kind of snotty to the customer and you really need to watch your attitude. <laughs> like, wow, what I'm not going to do is walk away from that and think, oh, okay, I really need to watch my attitude. What I am right. going to do is the employees, I'm going to think, what kind of jerk didn't just come and tell me right after the meeting? Like, so the right. first habit is withholding feedback, you know, until the time is right, until we have some special ceremony at our company where feedback gets given. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with this one. This is one of those ones. Actually, I'm going to point to a video. We'll we'll put it in the when we go live here. I did a video on on actually should you ask for feedback as a and and this was kind of and I basically said no because it's it's kind of annoying as an employee to ask for feedback all the time. Kind of I said like like a puppy dog like did I do a good job and always looking for that validation. But part of that is that the the manager or the boss should give the feedback so that you don't have to ask for it because it, it sort of puts you in an awkward position. So, and I, I think that's, it's, it's definitely, definitely a problem. I mean, you, you know, if you, if you get feedback too late, you, you can't respond to it. And, and then, like you said, so I, I think that's, it's, it's very critical to give the feedback right away to the, to the people. And then what's that, what, what do they say? Like, um, uh, you know, to to praise in public and to in, admonish in private, in right? In private, yeah. You know, the, the book, it's an old book, Ken Blanchard's One Minute Manager is a classic, and it talks about just using these 60-second times to give praise, give feedback, give correction. Um, right. I'm a big fan of doing it right in the moment. Um, yep. it, it doesn't have to be a big affair, right? And if you choose to pull somebody into your office, shut the door, sit them down, you sit down, you look across the desk, and you you say, uh, that was a good job in there. Like, that's kind of ridiculous. That's a lot of fanfare just for a little piece of feedback. So, you know, I think it's better if you can get comfortable giving little bits of praise or even little bits of correction just in public. Now, I'm not talking about shaming anybody. We do have to be careful of humiliation, right? Because it's embarrassing. But when, if somebody, especially in a meeting, has maybe shot, you know, spouted off their mouth or said something kind of offensive, why not just take a second and say, I don't think that's the way we should be thinking about this bill. And I just want to kind of correct everybody's attitude to know that's not really the the way we do things here um, in case anybody's seeing this and is concerned. So, you know, and now let's just move on. It's just a quick moment. If you don't sort of correct things in public is my view that you see in public, other people probably are thinking, especially new people, oh, Oh, that's how we do things here. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Point, yeah. Right, now I get it. So we're kind of homophobic racists. Ah, well, now I know. Like, look, and, and the boss just sat right through it and laughed just because, you know, he must be one too. But right. the reality is, is the boss might be thinking on the next evaluation, Bill's going to get a big red mark. Well, that's the wrong way to deal with it. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's, I think it's also how you deliver it too, right? Because it's like oh, yeah. you, you have to learn how to create the shit sandwich, right? As they call it. <laughs> Where you got the you got the praise and then you deliver the the bad part and then you you know a little bit of praise to to follow. I mean, not not to like make stuff up, but like there's always a way to say, you know, that's a really good point that you're that's making the, here. That's the one layer the, of bread. The way that you said it maybe is not the best 
is not communicating what I think that you actually might intend. Because I I know that you're a good person at heart, and and it, it might have come off a little bit differently than you expected. You know, something like that. I yeah. think maybe is because uh, then then you you're disarmed. They're not like because I think if you just come out and almost all the time, you know, what's that Teddy Roosevelt quote? He says, "If you double my fists, I can assure you, I'll double mine right back at you." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Netflix has a really amazing culture around feedback. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Netflix way of giving feedback is, is that anyone in the organization can and should and is expected to give feedback to everyone else in the organization sort of in the moment. And so you will find people that work on totally different teams and different reporting chains. And I've coached employees there at Netflix. And they were a little surprised the first time said someone said to them, John, can I take a minute and give you some feedback about what I'm seeing? And right. they ask permission. And of course, John's going to be like, well, well, yeah, tell me. Um, yeah. And so they model this behavior right from the beginning of people giving feedback. And, you know, you might imagine that people who are at the bottom would be really hesitant to give people at the top feedback, right? Right. But at Netflix, that's not so. People at the top get all kinds of positive and frankly, really negative feedback all day long. And so they actually train upper management to make sure they're not doing what they call punching down. Because yeah. when somebody up here gets gives feedback that's negative, it's like a force multiplier downwards. The farther down the chain of command you are the more oh, yeah. afraid you are that you're going to be gone the next day. Right. Oh, so yeah. they really treat, they really teach the upper management to, um, you know, accept all that feedback, but be really careful in, in how they respond, especially to somebody two, three or four levels below them. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, just, you know, feel free to disagree with me, but I would, I, I, that to me, that sounds like a great concept. And I like the idea of the, especially, I mean, training the management on it, but if I'm an employee, I'm not, I, I just generally hold the idea that you shouldn't give feedback up, negative feedback up, because I mean, some people can take it and it's, and it's fine, but it, a lot of times it doesn't work out well for you. So I usually- It can be I, a career limiting move. Yeah. Right, like, right. A CLM can occur and you, now, you, now you're either stuck or maybe you're out. I totally agree. And that's why I actually think Netflix's culture is so special mm. is because from day one, a new employee thinks that exact thing. Oh yeah, right. they're all about feedback, right? You know what? <laughs> Until they observe people at their level giving feedback above them yeah. and maybe way above them in public, and those people are still there and they're thought highly of, and and so I think it does take uh, a, a few months of really like living in that culture to make to, so that you understand what's appropriate, what's safe. And, and of course, there's boundaries, right? You don't right. stand up in the middle of a meeting and, and call somebody an idiot, probably. <laughs> That's not the kind of feedback we're talking about. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I wrote this chapter in the book because I see so many managers who either wait for the annual meeting um, or maybe the sprint retrospective. And they right. stuff along the way and they just kind of, uh, I, I kind of say that, like they've got this little set of notes and they're like, well, John did not do this. I'm making notes and we'll address this at a later time. So right. they keep like a, a record of wrongs. Uh, and then when the time is right, they bring it all out and then they blast the person. So yeah. I think that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. That's, um, it, you know, and, and, and like, like, like you said, it's when you do it that way, they don't have a chance to, to, make changes or to re, you know no no one likes to be admonished for something they did like a couple months ago <laughs> absolutely you know and you hit the nail on the head and this will be the last thing i say on this the whole purpose of feedback it better not be to punish or shame it right. better be to produce change so all of your feedback should be around the idea of i need i want to produce a change in behavior in skill or in habit in the person i'm talking to right exactly so that's your goal all right Party. let's move on to the next one here we go now the next one has a weird title. It's forgetting how good, how difficult good programming is. Now, John, <laughs> you code every day, right? N not anymore. Not what? anymore. No. What? <laughs> so do you? Do you, now you're a very successful businessman, but you have uh, website properties. You need web work done, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. so you probably hire people, is my guess. Right. Exactly. Do you ever? And, and so this bad habit comes from when you've been removed from programming for as long as I have, and maybe you, you start to have a fond memory about how good you were at it. And oh, right. you start to maybe misrepresent in your own mind how hard something should be. And you start to use phrases like just 
or simply like just put a form on there. Just can't they just log in with Facebook when you forget how hard good programming is, you know, it really makes your team think you're kind of a clueless pointy haired boss. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a programmer try and explain to you why something that you asked for was really harder than you thought, but but I have, and it's it's kind of um, it reminds me that I need to keep a humble attitude because um, otherwise I just walk around like an arrogant jackass, and I assume my team isn't doing as good a job as as I would have done when I were in their shoes. Right. Yeah, I think there's a that's definitely you know I've definitely been out of it long enough to to have experience that. and experience that even at just a different level just in any job i kind of realized too that it's like any job that you do like when you hire someone to do it they're not going to do it the same way as you and they might not be as good as you but you can't you can't only hire people or you can't only you can't just hold the level up to where how you would do things or or, or the level that you would do them at and expect everyone to meet that level because they're not, they're not going to be, you know, they're perhaps, or they're going to do things a different way. And so I, I've sort of had to let go and say, okay, well, this isn't like exactly how I want it and how I would do it <laughs> or as fast, but is it, is it better than me having to do everything myself? And that's, I think that's, that's what I think of now as a, as a business owner is it's like, yeah, not everyone's going to do everything the best way, but that's okay. Like I can give them feedback, like you said, and, and right. hopefully improve it. Um, but otherwise, you know, and, and then also like, like you said too, it's just, I, I don't, I forget, I forget how difficult it was to do the thing or. Did so. you, I found right after I stopped coding, say maybe six months afterwards, my brain thought I was still a pretty good coder. And I would ask people to do stuff and they would say, well, that's going to be hard. And my constant feeling was, man, it's so hard to find, like, if I want anything done right. I have to do it myself. I don't know exactly. if you've ever heard that or felt that, but I think that's like a symptom of, uh, you're forgetting how, how difficult doing the work is and the minutia. I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I spent in college looking for semicolon colons in C++ code, but I've yeah. totally like forgotten how hard that can be now. Of course we have compilers and IDEs that tell us and everything, but, right. but yeah, I just, yeah I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just think it's a bad habit to get in that mindset where we sort of assume the rest of our team is is not as good as we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find, you know, like you said, with the quote of, if, if I want something done right, I have to do it myself. It, it's really more of, if I want something done 100% to my perfection, I have to do it myself. And it's true, you do. You but. Do. But you can choose between having everything done to 100% to your perfection or having a lot more stuff done. <laughs> and it's I like, think that's a great point. That's a balance, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I found is just that idea of like, if I take the time to write out what I want, then I get better results, right? Exactly. And a lot of times I assume if I just say, well, let's use a Twitter login or let's use, you know, X or Y or Z kind of form. How about password recovery? That's easy, right? Everybody's doing it. Um, but if I don't take the time to write out exactly what I'm thinking, uh, and when I do take the time to do that, it forces me to remember there's a lot of nuance in it. Otherwise, I'm really asking the developer to fill in the gaps with their judgment. Right. And, and you should, I mean, you should trust their, if you are asking you them to do, like, if you can't trust people, like with my team, you know, it, it doesn't mean I don't get feedback. If there's something wrong, I ask them to fix it or, or whatnot. But if, when I give them something, I, they go with it and I trust them. I don't, I don't have to watch them like a hawk and like, a, and if I do, they're gone. I just fire because I rather, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep someone on my team who I can't trust. If I can't trust you, if I think that you're padding hours or you're not oh. the work or it's, or it's, you're, it's taking way longer than it should, then I don't trust you. And so I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and fix that behavior. I, I, those are, it's one of the behaviors I say that your mom should have taught you. I don't, I don't ever try to teach any of those or fix those. Cause it's like your mom should have taught you how to, uh, how to, you know, work hard and, and be, and not lie and, and be on it. Like I'm not, and be nice, that. right? They, I love yeah. that your mom, you know, your kindergarten teacher and your mother should have given you the basic tools for human interaction. Exactly. And I'm sorry if you didn't get hugged enough, but you can't be on my team. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, come uh, back, go, you know, go to kindergarten, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I think Robert Ludlum had a book in the 90s on everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. 
Well, the, the next habit, and I'm just going to ask you, I bet you've never done this, but maybe early on, did you ever go in and fix your team's mistakes? Ooh, you know what? That was one of my, actually, so as an entrepreneur, that was one of my big mistakes was doing that all the time. And I think I've done that as a developer too in, in, in a management position is, yeah, of course, when I was doing teaching unit tests and things like that. And man, I, I learned real quick to instead tell people what was wrong and have them fix their own mistakes. Wow, so. like you created a, a feedback loop that improved the team, even though like fixing someone else's mistake, I'll be honest, there's something that feels really good about it, right? You're like, right. oh, I'm gonna show them how this needs to be done and this is gonna be beautiful. And and then I'll never have to talk to them about it and, and they'll, they'll just probably figure out how to do it next time. That never right. works. <laughs> Same same thing. You just keep on fixing it, fixing it every single single time. Finally, I got smart, and now it's still temptation, right? It's still, when someone screws up, I'm like, oh, I could just fix this description or fix this thing real quick, even if it's a quick thing, especially. But then I have to say, no, I need to tell them to fix it so that they know, so that next time they don't make the mistake or they they see it. Yeah. You know, even when I explain afterwards, because even I found like if I fix something and then I say, here's what I did. I, you did this and I, I fix this up. So next time do that. Does They have to do it themselves in order to go through the pain in the process and realize, you know, why to do it one way. So. Yeah. Have you ever had anyone fix your mistakes in your career? I'm trying to think if um, I've had, I've had a micromanaging boss that, I mean, that's mm -hmm. usually who does it, right? Who usually who yeah. ends up, uh, ends up fixing fixing my stuff after it's how, how did you feel uh, you know like untrusted and inadequate right like yeah uh, bad and, and, yeah and then also sometimes you know uh not having the ability to like say wait a minute this is not actually a mistake this is how i intended to do it and there's a reason why i did it i, I think that losing that kind of gives you the loss of power over your your you know loss of self autonomy which i is, think yeah. That's a great point. You know, sometimes I would hand work over to a developer and outline a design. They would do it a different way with a different design, which also accomplished the goal. But when right. I looked at it, it didn't have the attributes, maybe the tables or the classes that I ha was expecting to see. So it was very easy early in my career to categorize that as a mistake. Like, oh, right. they've gone off and done it, done it a different way. Rather than holistically being curious and saying, I wonder, you know, I I'll trust that they didn't turn in work that that was wrong or that they never tested. So I wonder how they solved the problem. Um, and then sitting down and having that feedback discussion, maybe you're actually going to learn something as a manager. Uh, especially a couple of years after I'd stopped coding, I found my team was getting really good at things and using techniques that I hadn't used. So I had to start saying, oh, I guess I have never done aspect-oriented programming in Java. I didn't really realize that was uh, a thing. And and now I'm learning something new about it, which, by the way, was an old thing, and now it's dead, so don't go look it up. But right. <laughs> there's lots exactly. of fads in programming. You can't keep up with it all. No. I think having work taken away from you is one of the most demoralizing things uh, as a programmer or any kind of employee. It just sends that signal that... I don't trust you. I might as well do it myself. And frankly, you should be a little worried that I'm going to fire you because yeah. if I can just step in and fix it so easily, why do I need you at all? Exactly. And I'd say, you know, on the employee side of that, it, it probably makes sense to always ask to always when you when you do work to say, hey, if you ever have any problem with anything that I, that I do, if this is not up to the level that you want, just let me know and I will take care of it and fix it. Right. And that I think that's yeah. a real is a consultant as whatever it is so that you don't this way you're you know because i think some of the things too like as an employee maybe or you know it, it, we're we're talking like from a, from a manager's perspective but how can, <laughs> what what can you do if your manager is this and i well, think you know the, yeah. what i did is um so for let's pretend your manager just reviews your pr mm. and then he goes in and he fixes stuff and he checks it in and you notice it's been changed right right you can yeah you you're not going to probably be able to help feeling bad about it but that doesn't mean you have to get pissed you can actually turn that event into a conversation where you give them some feedback. And it doesn't have to be confrontational. For example, I've walked into my manager and said, hey, I saw you made some changes to the code when you reviewed it. Could we sit down and review those changes so I can learn what you did? Exactly, right. I, and I just basically asked that simple sentence. I never, ever had a manager say, 
no, like you're clearly too dumb to learn and, and you're just like a code monkey. No, they were like, oh yeah, let me, let me show you my rationale here. And it deepened the discussion. And um, sometimes I learned, sometimes they learned, right? They would say, I, I was confused about this. Well, now I'll explain it. They also learned that I wanted that feedback, which you'd be surprised at how many managers, if we go back to that first habit, right? they're nervous about talking about feedback because it feels like conflict. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you can't so, avoid conflict. But. No, and when you as the employee make it clearly safe, you walk in and you say, I'd like to understand what you did with my code, not because I think you're a jerk. You have every right to do it. But all of a sudden, they're like, oh, this person won't get mad and quit because that's their big fear is exactly. you'll, you'll leave and they actually need you. And, you know, that's actually a great technique also that, that I used to deal with with micromanaging bosses as well is, you know, is if someone's micromanaging you, you can always go and every time that they do something or like if they're, you know, changing your code after you've checked it in, then you just go and you you ask them every time, oh, did I do something wrong? Like, how did you want this done? And so or if they're micromanaging you every time they give you a task, you ask them a question on every single step of right. the item is this okay i want to make sure that you get to see every single step like is this right is it is this what you wanted here to the point that you annoy the hell out of them that they they say just do it however you want to do it get out of here like stop asking me all these questions i just want to make sure that i'm i'm doing it right that i'm giving you all the feedback all the information you need on this that's right. If, if they want it, give it to them, right? Like you're the yeah. boss. I'm just here to support you. I'll do it however you want. Yeah. So why don't I come in your office every 15 minutes, knock on the door and bring the work into you and say, is this what you meant? Um, yeah, I think that's a great technique. It really drives them crazy. There was uh, there was a good story in uh, in in Donald Trump's book, uh, The Art of the Deal, and he was he was talking about how it actually was done to him. But this hotel that he was part manager or he part owner of, uh, his his wife kept on going in there and she would like tell tell that you know they need to do this and do that right and, and she was just part they were just like fifty percent owners and so they got this they they hired uh, this this new guy. To run, to run the place, uh, this 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 French guy that got along with with his wife really well, and and every time they made any decision, they called called up Donald Trump or, or called up his wife and said, "We just want to make sure that that these pillows that we're going to order that that you," and they ran every single decision by him. Finally, he was like, "Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, you just run your hotel how you want to run your how you're supposed to run it. Like I'll trust." <laughs> nice. Yeah. And you know, it does kind of expose that behavior. The yeah. alternative, right, is, and most of us do it, is we become more protectionary. We start to like hide our work back here. Right. And, and we're like, well, I don't want to show him because he's always trying to look ahead and see what I'm trying to do. So I think that you just change the dynamic when you go here. Like, what do, what do you want me to do? You don't trust me with any decision. So I'm not going to trust me with any decision. You have to make all the, what should this variable be called again? It represents an amount. What do you think, boss? You know? Exactly. It's, it's judo. It's judo, right? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> using their force against them, right? Yeah. Anytime you resist the force, you get more resistance. But you you use it, you go with it. You say, "All right, we're going micromanager out. Let's have fun. And, Let's have fun uh, with it." That's right. Um, well, you know the the next habit here. Uh, I I have this story I tell in the book. Uh, I I I'll just tell the story real quick. I used to work for this guy. I I you got I used to be a payphone repairman. Okay. okay. So you remember these things, pay phones, like they're not popular anymore, but they were in the poor parts of town. And I had this boss who didn't even hardly know my name. He was a real jerk. And he was, he always was convinced everybody was stealing from him, padding their timesheet hours, like super distrustful. And I worked for this guy for three years remotely. Like I would service the pay phones and collect the money and turn it all in. And it was an okay gig during college, but he was just not somebody who he didn't like me and didn't care about me at one bit. And one day he sends me that I didn't know they made post-it notes this small, the smallest post-it note I'd ever seen. And it had the word thanks on it. And it was stuck to my check. It came in the mail. And that was the only sign of gratitude I ever got from that person. And, you know, at 46 years old, I would now wrinkle that up, throw it away and say, screw you, Charlie. But at right. 23 years old, I was like, wow, he noticed like 
it meant something. All those late nights and snowstorms out in the middle of Bonanza, Oregon with 80 people repairing this payphone. He cared. He appreciated me. I took that note. I put it in my wallet. And I'm a little embarrassed to say I kept it for three years because it was the only sign of gratitude I got from that person. And that's when I realized that I had never heard it before and I'd never hear it again from him, but it had this profound effect on me that it yeah. motivated me. The next time I was in a snowstorm in the middle of, and this is really a town, Beaver Marsh, Oregon, population 56, as I was repairing their only phone, I remember thinking like, at least he's thankful that I'm out yeah. here freezing my ass off, right? So I think, I think a ruining habit is when we get managers who never express gratitude. Right. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, if you if people don't know that you actually care, <laughs> that, that, then then what what does it matter? Then what does it matter if they do a bad job or a good job too, right? Like, exactly. Do you and I'm curious, John, how do you show your team? You have this team, you're a businessman, you're the head of a multi-billion dollar empire, going to be the next president of the United States. How do you tell people on your team? How do you communicate that you're thankful? You know, what I like to do, I, I like I, I like to vary it. Okay. And, and the reason why I vary it is because if you just, every time someone does something, you, you do the same thing or, or it's always constant, then you make it an expectation and that's mm. no good. Right. So for example, I, I've worked at places where every time we complete a project or did something good, the boss gave us a bonus and it, it seemed like a good thing, but it didn't, it also lost its meaning. Right, because it's it you're not actually being specifically thanked for a thing. You just know that this is the 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 thing, or you know they whatever. So so I try to vary it. So one thing that I'll do is from time to time, when someone does a good job, I will I will I will send them some kind of a bonus. I'll just mm -hmm. you know just suddenly send them send them a bonus out of the blue. I'll publicly thank them in in somewhere right like in in a video or or something or an email or to, to the rest of the team so that there's like a, a public thank you of that uh, and and you know I, I think part of it too is one thing I try to do is I try not to give too much as well right so I think there you know I know this is kind of getting a little bit off the topic but just uh, but I, but I also feel like like I said that when you're too when your praise is too cheap people know it's cheap they it doesn't mean anything right exactly so when i say you did a good job like you really did a good job and when i see it i totally recognize it and i say this is awesome really good job and i give i'm lavish with the praise when but but not all the time and i think yeah. that's that's like that it's that balance right some people never well just like you like i think you know, from your, your story where you put that thank you in your wallet for three years. Part of right. it was because I'm not saying that, that the guy did it right. I mean, maybe he was a little bit too, uh, too uh, holding back with his praise, but because his praise was not cheap, right? Like it had an effect, right? If, if he, he included yeah. a thank you note on every check, Right. Then I, by the, the first one, I might've stuck next to my desk. The second one maybe would have joined it. Every other one after that would have gone in the trash. I right. would have thought all he does is write the check and write, thank you on the note and stick it on there. I, that's just his habit, his routine. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Praise can become really cheap. Um, I find that varying it, like I will use, I'll actually hand write sometimes a yeah. note of thanks and put it on somebody's desk. Um, I will, like you said, call out in a, in a, in a group meeting, you know, John, I really appreciate you got that done. You went above and beyond for me. And this time it really made it, you know, I really appreciate it. Cause I know that, you know, I know all of our families are important to us, but you were here until 10 PM. And so thank you very much. Uh, assuming that doesn't happen all the time, because sometimes we can actually praise people into almost behaviors that aren't as good as we hope for. Like right. I actually don't want people staying until 10 PM every night. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I want it to happen once in a while, but in general, I think your team needs to know that you see the work, you acknowledge it, that they do. Um, you actually have a position as a technical manager of knowing how hard the work is in a way that the client or the executives above you or the, the customers in another department probably never really realize. You know how hard it is. So 
I think being thankful and finding different ways to say it, um, my guess is most of us could go a long way before it started to become rote and trite. So I'd say if you're not doing it now, start doing it and then kind of just watch yourself and watch how people react. At some point, it, they'll, they'll clearly not care that you're saying it. At that point, you probably need to vary it. And, and, and you know, one other thing I was thinking of that, that I do that, that is, I feel is really important is being yeah. very specific with the praise, right? So if I just say, man, you did a great job. You're just doing an awesome job. That is not nearly as good as saying, you know, that I, I looked at this, this code that you wrote on that, on that screen, you know, whatever the, the login page. And that, that was really good. Like, I really liked how you did this. And it, the more specific it is, the more that, that someone actually feels that you actually care and, and appreciate it, the, the better that the praise is. But the more generic it is, it's like, oh, you're just doing, you're just awesome. Thanks for doing such a great job. It, it doesn't really carry as much weight, I think. I, I agree. Um, and I think it sort of goes back to like being when you give negative feedback, you also want to be specific, right? Don't just say, I've been disappointed in your attitude lately. That's pretty hard. Like what part of my attitude? No, say, you know, when you're on a client call, you appear to cut people off to rush to give your opinion before listening. That's a cons that's a very specific thing people can improve on, right? Is exactly. becoming more self-aware. So yeah, you're right. And everybody, I actually get nervous when all I hear from a boss is how great I am. Exactly. Like, maybe I'm weird, but like there's this part of me that's inside going, well, I know I'm not perfect, but he's not telling me anything bad. All I'm getting is praise every day for the first two weeks. I wonder when he's going to like let the other shoe drop and tell me, right. except this thing that you've done every day that's driving me crazy and now you're fired. Right, exactly. Yeah, That's my fear. So, um, well, the, the next habit's pretty, I see this one a lot. And a lot of the people in the group, uh, people that are listening might say, well, they can't do anything about it. And that's the idea that it is really a bad habit to constantly be pushing your team to deliver faster, yeah. uh, I, to never give them a chance to sort of pause and refactor, to always be um, making commitments and schedules that keep them there 12 hours a day. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm sure you don't do this to your team, John, um, but teams burn out and people right. decide after a while, if the schedule isn't realistic, they're certainly not going to make a heartfelt commitment to it. Right. Yeah. This is one of those things that I, as a, I always encourage developers, I say, you know, and this is important, I think when negotiating a job, because I mean, there are cer certain circumstances where you're expected to work more hours, but upfront, mm -hmm. almost my entire career upfront, I have basically said, look, I'm, I'm working 40 hours a week. That's, that's what like, cause this is the contract that we're paying, right? The salary makes a huge difference, whether it's 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week expected. And so I think just like knowing that up front and, and, you know, the team members pushing back and saying, look, and there's been places I've worked in places where it was expected. Everyone was working, you know, 12 hour days and I I'm, I'm leaving at five, but I did it. I did hard work, did an awesome job while I was there. And I'm willing to accept the, the con like I I'm, I'm here to be, be paid because I don't want my hourly rate reduced. I don't, I don't just, and I, I think as a manager, that's, I think that's, that's really important is to be able to say like, look, we're, <laughs> we have to do a sustainable pace. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're constantly moving the finish line, that that's like the most disheartening thing I think is when someone's constantly moving the finish line, like you're racing to get there. And then they're like, Oh, there, there's a, it's actually a mile further. <laughs> right. It's, it seems more like running on a treadmill than running a marathon, right? Where you know where the ending is. Um, it is difficult when everybody else around you is working 10, 11 hour days for you to, like it takes a lot of internal fortitude, I think, to say my eight hours is up, I'm leaving. There's uh, a lot, I mean, like I would actually be worried for my job if that were the case. And I think I have been like, oh, I'm leaving early and the boss perceives me to be as the laziest person or um, I'm not really all in. You know, bosses tend to want people somehow that are like willing to give up their soul for the work. And it's entirely unrealistic. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, you know, to, to diverge a little bit, it, it's about where you're investing your your time, right? I mean, realistically 
working for someone else and, and putting more than 40 hours. I mean, you do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not about cheating people and, and not doing, doing your work, but what you put in extra than that, it, it seems like this, that it's going to benefit you so much. You're going to climb the career ladder and, and all this stuff, but it really, it really doesn't as doesn't. much as, and, and it's yeah. a very, it's a very risky gamble. Because you don't know. I mean, you could do that for five years and sacrifice nights and weekends and marriages and you know and soccer game, kids soccer games and all this stuff. Absolutely. And then you just get laid off and and or no one notices. It doesn't doesn't matter. But you know, I, but but I guarantee you, I I can almost I can guarantee you at least if you have a good manager, like like from my perspective, if if someone is working hard and they're there eight hours a day. Hell, if they're there seven hours a day, but when they're there, they're just like busting ass and they're doing the best job that they can. That that person is not getting fired. You're not letting go of a resource that right. when they're working, you want to maybe get get them to work more if you could, but you're not letting go of them. You're, you're letting go of the people that are not getting the work done. Well, and I think it's awfully sad, but I've worked at companies where Okay, so I, you tell me if this sounds familiar. Guy X, we'll call him Ron. Ron has done something that caused management to believe he would never be a good team lead and he's not promotable. But right. they're willing to let Ron work his ass off 12 hours a day, trying to show that he's the kind of company man who deserves a promotion. Even though, right. frankly, everybody knows that Ron's got a big red circle around his name. Ron is not going to be one of the guys who gets to move up in the company because of something they've never even told Ron about a lot of times. Exactly. Yeah. So Ron is just where, and what happens pretty quickly, give it a few years, Ron sees people below him move up and past him, right? New people come in above him and, and, and Ron just feels like, well, I, I, you know, on one hand, is this ever going to work? The conventional wisdom says Ron needs to work harder. Of course, what you and I are agreeing on is that's that that will never work. Ron can't work himself into that promotion. So, uh, unfortunately, it's too bad that they didn't give feedback and say, Ron, you know, yeah. you should probably just go, right? But they can't afford to. They need to keep that kind of worker around. And Ron has the, you know, he starts maybe develops a victim mentality, and and really what Ron needs is is boundaries. He needs to say clearly, and to, to, it's like an abusive relationship. The sooner, like, yes. you have to say, I don't tolerate. Like, I look, you know, I came in this one time on Saturday, helped you out, but this is what I do. This is general, like, it's not appropriate for you to like try and push me to work extra hour. You know, I, I my marriage, my my family, my whatever, my side projects my free time my hobbies they're more they're important to me and this is from the very beginning to establish that as soon as someone crosses your boundary rather than i mean five years time. in exactly yeah. you got all this anger and you're like there's nothing i can do and you feel like a victim but it's because you didn't establish your boundary, or even even just saying like look this is what i'm expecting like i expect to be promoted like i i'm working towards it tell me what i need to do and then, and then you're going to get the answer. Then if it's like, well, uh, I don't know, like, I'm not sure you're a company man, Ron. I feel like we're talking about the movie Office Space, right? Like, yeah. we're really saying those those three guys were like, you know, they really allowed themselves to be victimized for years until the the resentment and bitterness built up, right? They, exactly. they had to come in on Saturdays. They had that terrible boss who would come around and go, "So, how's it going?" You know, and he'd bring his coffee cup. Yeah, and exactly. It yeah. was just like, but but I think you hit on an important point. They actually weren't victims every time that they let the company take advantage of them, they were making a choice. They were, they were sort of internally thinking, I'll get ahead a little bit. This will be a mark in my favor. What they realized was that was never going to happen, but they didn't, they didn't know it and they didn't have an honest conversation about it. So exactly. they just kept telling all the people that they really loved, like, I just have to work harder and that's how I'm going to win. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's always that disaster of holding on to things too tightly, right? It's like, you have to be willing to let things go, whether yeah. it be relationships or jobs or whatever. And that, so you have to be able to assert yourself and assert your boundaries and just say, if consequences come, consequences come, but you're going to have more opportunity and people will respect you more. And, and 
ironically, you'll get more opportunities, you'll have more relationships, you'll be more attractive, you'll get more job offers, you'll get promoted more when you're a person who asserts themselves and, and ah. asserts your own boundaries, even though it may seem like being the kiss ass or the, the brown nose or, or just doing whatever you're or not walking on eggshells is the thing to do. It's not the thing to do. It's not. Remember, okay, in high school, the guy who got the most gals was the, the the guy who was the probably not the nicest guy. He was not the weakest guy. He was the one who acted like he didn't care what you thought, right? And he was always right. surrounded by a cadre of beautiful high school women, you know, and they were, you know, but the whole point was I was shocked in high school that being a nice guy did not get me really any attention from the opposite sex. Right. Shockingly, I did very poorly in this area. And it was all because I was like, oh, look at me. Oh, don't, I'll be your friend. Oh, and you know, when you chase it too hard, it stinks. And everybody knows it stinks. And you're no different than today. So exactly. Yeah. It's All pretty right. sad. Um, okay, but let me just hit this last point here because a lot of times I talk to really good team leads who are getting yeah. a lot of pressure from their boss. Yeah. They don't want to push the team harder, but they feel like they're they're compressed between a team that says we have to have space, we need a boundary, and a boss that's saying more, more, more. You guys are not delivering enough. So what should people do when their boss is the one and the outside pressure is coming in? I think it's our job as leaders to protect our team. So we've got to grow a backbone or whatever part needs to be grown, and we need to start having some honest conversation. We need to start measuring from numbers and pushing back. We need to start, maybe we need to start padding our estimates way out that give us the space. And, and we need to think about what does it take, not just to do a project, but to do a project the right way and in a sustainable way that the team feels good about. Starting to look at those internal metrics rather than just saying, well, I think we only need 100 hours to get it out the door. After 100 hours, it's out the door and there's a mountain of bugs and your team's pissed off because they didn't get a chance to refactor or do code coverage or test coverage or anything else. So start budgeting for the holistic process and then just don't let yourself be bullied. Have honest conversations with those people that are pressuring you. Exactly. Yeah, I think also you can get into this whole like personal conflict type of thing where it's like bosses, you know, and you're fighting, pushing back. Whereas one thing technique I've always used is, you know, I can't promise you, like, I, I can't, I, 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 think we can do this. This is the estimates are always estimates in software development, but I'm keeping you updated. So I'm always like, okay, here's where we're at right now. Right. Right. It's this way. I don't have to say we can't make it in three months. You can look at where we're at and you can know, right? Because if I tell you, oh, we can't make it, you know, no, 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 no. Pushing too hard. We can't do it. Then you say, yeah, you could do it. What do you got? You know, you're not even trying, John. Come on. But if I keep you updated and show you numbers, and, and also I think on, on the other side of it too, is like, where do people get in trouble when schedules slip? It's when two days before it's supposed to release, you you have the meeting and you say, hey, we're not we're not going to be able to make it right we're going to be another six weeks what right. how come i only hearing about this now and then you have exactly. a problem you know i think the steve mcconnell did a great software engineering radio podcast on estimation where he talked about estimates are oftentimes heard as commitments or targets by the right. people that are listening to them so even though you're saying this word estimate what you're here, somebody else is hearing is promise or commitment. Right. I'm committing to get it done in a thousand hours. I think one of the least often tools that I see used that could be used really well is re-estimation. Exactly. And so if you've got a six-month project, every sprint, maybe you're doing two-week sprints, re-estimate what it would take from the point you're at now to get to the end. Exactly. Go through that re-estimation process. Um I even ask in stand-up, whenever I run teams, I want to know, you know, the standard three things. What'd you do? What are you going to do? And are you blocked? But I always also throw in, has the es your estimate of the work changed? Right. I don't need an estimate, but if somebody says, yeah, I think it's different, I'm going to go back to them and afterwards and say, well, what have you learned, right? Because if you've learned something that changes it, Schedule slip one day at a time, and I'm going to make sure that that updated estimate gets to all the stakeholders so nobody's surprised two days beforehand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I even just do it personally in my own day, right? So, like, you know how you have those to-do, those long to-do lists, like you plan I out do. your day, and mm -hmm. then you something goes wrong and you don't get it done. And then, you, and then you're trying to, like, you start to 
pretty soon you catch yourself like just uh, on Facebook or checking your email because you're procrastinating because you know you can't get done everything that you're supposed to get done in the day. So it's what I do is, try. yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I, so what you do? So what I do is I say, okay, uh, obviously my schedule is is out of whack. I can't get done everything. So I'm replanning the day starting now like it's noon okay fine let's go let's see what what can be done there's four hours left what can be done in that and so i'd replan it and schedule it so now my to-do list i chop it down to to a realistic thing that i can do and that's that i mean it's, it's the same thing on software development projects is it's like like you said the re-estimation estimation mm -hmm. is extremely important just okay where we're at now it doesn't matter what we planned where we're at now what is the current what is the current, right. you know, and, and you get more accurate as you get closer to the goal. And that's Absolutely. the beauty of it. So yeah, Steve McConnell talks about the cone of uncertainty narrows the farther into the project, your estimates become better and better. You've learned, right? You, instead of having a wide variation, you have a little narrower the next week, you get smarter all the way along the way. Um, okay, all right. So Breaking promises is really the next thing. I see this happen all the time, but not like I say, John, I'm going to give you Friday off, and then I come to you and I say, John, I can't. That's a pretty clear broken promise. It's, right. for example, I wrote, I wrote this story after a friend of mine joined a company, and when he joined in the interview, they said, we want your particular skills because we're going to do a full re-architecture and rewrite on the platform, right. <laughs> and we're really excited to do that. And so he joins the company, and he's thinking, okay, I'm all in. He'd worked on this legacy code for like 10 years, so he was really excited to do something new. And a year in, no word of the rewrite, had, and he was like, I thought we were going to do that and the, right. the, guy, the guy was like well uh you know the company owner decided it wasn't a priority and he actually bought a plane and now he's traveling the world so we wanted a little time off so we're not going to do the rewrite and my boss my, my friend was just like what a what a crock of crap right what a lie like you've pro i came on to do this great thing and you didn't even tell me it was canceled i had to ask a year later and now you tell me oh by the way we don't care about that anymore yeah. What, how can I possibly trust you when you break that promise? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And that, and that happens all the time. I get complaints on, you know, I believe in my email from YouTube viewers that are like, I got this job and they said that we're going to work in, and I've been there before, right? They, I, I said that we're going to work in C Sharp and rewrite this whole thing. And I'm doing, I'm doing VB6 maintenance code. <laughs> I'm in Excel macros, John. I'm in hell. Help me. Well, and it also happens like, have you ever heard this? Like, if you work hard, I bet you'll, in a year, you'll be ready for a promotion. Or, I mean, that's a promise, right? That's saying, if you do this, we'll do that. Um, you know, or you'll get to that salary you want if you put in the extra effort. Or I, I, I bet you, I bet we'll probably, we'll adopt closure if we can do X and Y. You know, we're going to go there, I promise. And all of a sudden, she's never spoken of again. That's a broken promise. Yeah. It's always better to like under promise and over deliver for sure. Like, and, and just not to make promises very often at all. Like again, yeah. like, you know, you, you've got to, if you, your, your word is so valuable and once, once you lose it, it's no one will trust you again. Absolutely. And you know, I think we need to start recognizing that everything we say is actually a promise to our team. Yeah. If we yeah. say that, that we're going to let them take Fridays off because they worked really hard, that, you know, even though if you don't have to use the word promise, right? That's like a right. five-year-old's view of a promise. Well, I didn't say promise, so you can't hold me to it. No, that's crap. Like if you said it, it's a promise and they expect you to either, they expect you to come through. And if you can't, they expect you, you to come around and readdress it with them. Acknowledge the fact that you broke the promise and tell them how you're going to make it right. Uh, and for you to be very aware, like you said, John, that you just need to be careful about what you're saying to people. I think a lot of times, again, that interview process feels like a sales pitch. All the great things we're going to do, lots of promises are made, very yeah. few of them are delivered. And imagine, imagine if, you know, as a manager, the benefit that you would have if you turned that around. Imagine if you offered someone, if you agreed on a salary of, let's say, $80,000 a year, and when they got their first, when, when they actually got the paperwork, it said on the paper, 82,000, right? Not a huge amount, right? Like a you little bit, but, but then they're like, man, like, like they, they over delivered. They gave me more than they said they were going to give me. That's like, imagine how hard that person is going to work and how, how like that relationship's going to start out. And, and that's, I mean, in, in a lot of different ways and anything that you, you do, you can always just, 
you know, if you adjust up just a little bit, ra rather the opposite. Now imagine the opposite. Imagine exactly imagine, same amount, right? Two thousand yeah. dollars, right? You, they they promised, you know, you said eighty two thousand dollars, and then and then you actually gave them eighty, right? Like you, you would you even paperwork. take that deal? No, you would be, you'd be so pissed, right? You're actually, in fact, you could be getting more money. We could say that you got eighty four thousand dollars was what is agreed, and they gave you eighty two. And 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 if you had both those scenarios in the one that where you got eighty or or, or let's say eighty six to eighty four, right? And in the one where you got more money, you would be more pissed because right. because they they went down from what they said right. because it it doesn't actually matter what the value is; it's what the it's what what the expectation is. So managing that expectation when when you set an expectation, you better deliver above the expectation, not below it. I think it's brilliant. The idea if you just started adding, if you always kept in your back, back pocket $1,000 to add on to every new person's salary unexpectedly or kept it and, and even a month in, you gave them that 1K bump, totally yeah. out of the blue, something right. like that, where they're like, wow, John is totally looking out for me. Like I didn't, I don't have to take on a tough guy exterior. I don't have to, he's on my side. I don't have to go to, battle just for a little bit more money i bet he's gonna want to protect me he must really value me right right exactly. sends a, you may not actually care about the person at all as a leader it's just a technique but it's gonna send all kinds of signals that you know you really are a good person and exactly. and that you're really working on their behalf right yeah it's gonna trigger the recipro reciprocity as, as well Exactly. You know, at the end of the day, um, I believe that all of us want a deep, trusted connection with uh, our leaders, our managers. Yeah. Like we have to have that uh, leader member exchange theory is my management theory of choice. And it really emphasizes that role that leaders have with their people. In fact, all the studies that have been done over the last 30 years directly correlate job performance, job satisfaction with the quality of the relationship that you have with each person. And so it's actually not about the tools and the languages and all the cool stuff. It's just about them trusting you and you trusting them. And all of these habits, and the last one here we'll talk about just briefly, all of these habits undermine trust. I think that's kind of the main theme here. Yep. So the last habit here is just the idea that you as the boss have some special privileges. And I see this more in corporate environments, but I think it can happen anywhere, right? Like maybe nobody can commit, maybe you're in your team, everybody commits into feature branches, except you as the leader sometimes right. will just commit to the master, right? You'll just skip the PR because your stuff is good, right? Well, right. what signal does that send to everybody else? Yeah, no, that's. I think that's a, that's a good a good point. It, it's actually the opposite of the idea of of kind of the servant leadership, which is that you should be the one. Like you, like if you really want to lead people, it's by example, right? And, yes. and that's and that means yes. that you make a bigger burden on yourself. You 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 do everything that you ask people to do, and you do more. You know that that's one of the things like with this with this YouTube channel that I that I I when people say why do you do all this extreme shit and like why are you like these crazy diets and like you know do, doing all this stuff it's like well if i'm gonna ask you to step up and change your life i'm gonna do like way more than like than i'm asking you to do right because i that's that's gonna give people the example whereas if you do it the opposite way you're going to send them that example. It's, ah, well, I don't really need to follow the rules. <laughs> Not really. And you know what? Yeah. So whether it is that you don't have to come in on Saturdays, but everybody else do does, or that you can commit code right to master, you can push and just fix things on the production server, even though your team can't do those things, or you, you would penalize them for doing them. Like those are all places where you are not acting in an, uh, with a lot of integrity. Um, right. John, you're a parent, right? You know, how, how many kids do you have? One or two? Just I think one. Yeah. But it's a girl, right? Little girl. And yeah. she is watching how you act all the time. Right. Like, the difference between what you say and what you do, she will do what you do every single day of the week, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and, I, and I hate to say it, but I do think especially, well, I won't say this, but uh, I think your teams always act looking to see how you act, and they're just going to mimic your behavior. You're modeling what good behavior is. So you do have to be above reproach, right? Yep. 
you know, there's a lot of talk. Uh, I think I was listening to somebody right now. What we've got a lot of politics in this country, and a lot of people are doing things that, and then they're they're claiming they didn't do those things. But if we've got a lot of leaders that haven't really acted above reproach, and that makes people distrust them, even though they don't even know them. There's the smell of impropriety and the smell of taking special privileges. So right. it, it's a huge trust killer on your team. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it also brings up that that point, just like. Uh, appearances is what is what people look that's at. that's what matters appears, right so right. if it appears that something is being you may not even be doing wrong but the appearance of wrong right. is, is, is more important than the, than the action of wrong and so i know a few leader. times like i'd work all night at at my job because i was a team lead and there was a problem and i wouldn't come in till noon the next day and people the first time i did it they'd always be like oh somebody's getting in late and i would actually go to the team and huddle up and say well i just need to let you know i want to be accountable because i tell you guys to be here by nine I wasn't here until noon. I didn't leave until 5.30 a.m. because I was up all night. This isn't bragging, but I need you to know that I really do want to be here by nine and I expect you to. And so like this was not just me slacking off. And, you know, either that or I'd wake up at 8.45 and I'd send that email, right? That would right. say, guys, I was here till 5 a.m. and I'm going to be in at noon, that sort of thing. Because um, otherwise it looks like a special privilege, like I'm playing by a different set of rules. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, um, I think so, John, I really appreciate you having me on. I want to for folks who buy the book, I want to challenge you. If you're interested, um, you can email me at Marcus at MarcusBlankenship.com and I'll send you a light version of the book that can be used in a really special way. This is if you've purchased the full book. What I've had is I've had people giving sort of this light seven page version out to their team and then asking their team, do I do any of these things? Because sometimes it's a little hard to tell if you're doing them, right? And in this way, it actually becomes like a mirror. You can start to open up really good feedback discussions with your team. You might not think you're taking special privileges. Your team might perceive, yeah, it's kind of a problem, right? And you'd want to know that. And so, if you know, it's just a, I call it the team edition of the book. You can email me and I'll send it to you for free after you've purchased the book. And, and you can start to use this to get really interesting feedback from your own team. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and let's put a link for the, the sure. book. Uh, where, where can people go to, to get the book? Should they look on Amazon? Is that, uh, that it is on Amazon. It's on LeanPub is the place where they'll get updates. I'm adding three more okay. chapters about not shaming programmers, about holding the team's toes to unrealistic estimates and uh, believing in unicorns. So those are coming yeah. in the next couple months. And yeah. uh, I think LeanPub is a better place because then you'll get those updates for free. Yeah. Okay, good. Awesome. That's awesome. Looking forward to the not shaming chapter. That's I think that's a big problem. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was it was a lot of fun. I appreciate yeah. all your insights from running your company and your experience. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Like like doing these chats with you. So uh till next time, Marcus. Take care. Yep. Bye. Hey, what's up? John here. Just wanted to make sure you aren't missing out. Only about half the content I put out is on this podcast. This podcast is created mostly from the audio from the YouTube videos I put out daily. When you get a chance, head on over to youtube.com forward slash simple programmer and click the subscribe button to get access to two to three new videos every day. Even if you prefer the audio format, make sure you subscribe at youtube.com forward slash simple programmer so you can check out what you might be missing.